0: This is the Hartford Online Radio Network, 21st Century Audio, delivered on the Good evening, everybody. It's Tuesday. It's the Hartford Online Radio Network on TheHorn.com, and this is Open for Business, the show that features hands-on business owners discussing everything and anything that has to do with running a business in the 21st century, and obviously most especially here in 2012. Our sponsors are Gateway Financial Group, the accounting firm of Budwitz and Meyerjack, Sherpa Technologies, and CentralCTDental.com, which is the home of Doctors Camps, Zambor, and Lupino. Ken Cook, Tommy Russo, the host, and our guest this evening is another Ken, Ken Savino, who's a partner with the North Star Wealth Partners. Welcome, Ken. How are you? I'm good. Thanks,
1: Tommy. It's good. a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're really Good evening, glad... sir. Yeah,
0: evening. before we get rolling with you, Ken, though, as, uh, as the other Ken mentioned, Uh, We always like to start off with a couple quotes, and I've got two doozies here. This is quiz time. (laughs) Uh Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. Here are the two people, you know, attributing to these quotes. One is Albert Einstein, and the other is one of my favorite business trainers, a guy named Jim Rohn. Okay, so here we go. And this is one, that I Jim
2: see, Rome? ESPN? Jim Rome? No, no I don't think so. No, no.
0: it's an, no, it's another guy that's been around. Well, actually, it's just phenomenal. <laughs> just phenomenal, it is.
2: Obviously, <laughs> you've heard
3: of him, <laughs> right? <laughs> Good and, to great, or the E Myth, which is the bigger book? Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> For
0: those right. of you that haven't, this is the first night tuning in. That's our producer and owner here, one of the owners, Brian Parker. Anyway, here Soon we go. Soon to be the only owner. So, anyway, formal education will make you a living. Self education will make you a fortune. And then the next one is the pursuit of truth and beauty is a sphere of activity in which we are permitted to remain children all our
3: lives oh yeah I'm, come on i'm wow. going
2: einstein two and rome
3: one yeah i agree. Got it. Yeah. i agree yeah. come on standing Ooh. ovation don't we have
0: an applause track here no, no. well i want one Not for, for next that w- i want one for next week <laughs> you gotta get harder <laughs> quotes then. all right i'm sorry i'm sorry i thought it was fun ken welcome
1: welcome it's nice to be here i thought that was an easy quote because uh i couldn't understand the second one so i figured it had to be einstein <laughs> <laughs> Einstein's
3: one of
0: my favorites.
2: Love that guy.
0: So but. how how long have you been with?
2: You ben have Stein. the same
3: hairdo that, as Einstein. So that's good. Yes, I know. You got that going for you. And it's disappearing
2: it as fast got... as his did too. <laughs> there you go.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Should I just derail the show even more? Go, go ahead. No. As you were saying we God. had a
2: train of thought that got derailed, but that's no, all
3: right. I'm all about it.
2: Uh, I invited Ken on tonight for a very specific reason. I want to talk about exit planning.
3: Exit planning, yes. Uh, Ken
2: has not the eternal exit planning. No, (laughs) we're not going there
3: either, Brian. (laughs) Today on God Talk, exactly. Ken Savino, (laughs) pastor.
2: But the reason it cropped up to my mind as a topic was that, well, the population's aging, including the business owners, and the more business owners I talk to, particularly coming out of the recession the less appealing it is to own the business. It's just not fun anymore. And Ken, you've got 30 plus years in the financial services industry and a particular expertise dealing with these kinds of situations and helping owners transition well, both financially as well as everything else. So I want to dig into it and see if we can come up with some gems of ideas that people should follow. So so that said, I'm going to ask you just a general question to start with. In your experience, what percent of owners do you think consider their exit strategy in a more formal way beyond just wishes and dreams?
1: I would say at best, at best. At best? 10 to 20%. Wow. Wishes and dreams, that's up there. That's 90 to 100, I bet. Yeah, I think people are so busy running their business and living their lives that they're not thinking about down the road. They're not thinking about, all right, how do I get out? Okay, And, you know, it's a very rare individual that can sit back and say, I'm going to take the time to figure out what I want to do in the future, what's best for me, what's best for my family, what's best for this company, what's best for our clients. That's a rare person.
3: Why why do you think that is? Do you think it's because folks are, you know, as their income has grown, their lifestyle has grown, and so they're still sort of in that almost paycheck to paycheck. Maybe they've socked away a couple million, but it's still – you know, they just—they always feel the need to get more and more, so they're still focused with blinders on on the immediate cash flow, and so they never have time to kind of sit back and look at the big picture.
1: I think it's a combination of things. It's definitely that, and in combination with what happened in 2008. Um, I don't know if you saw the statistics today that. The average person, the average family lost 40% of their net worth.
0: I did see that. Ooh, and I missed that one. Yep.
1: So wow. now people are in a position where they're saying, all right, I worked so hard for all those years. Now I lost 40% of my net worth. I'm back on the treadmill. But I think it's more than that. I think it's also um, being a business owner for many years, I can relate to the psychology of it. It's your baby. Yeah. You created this. And True. it's hard to walk away from that. I know you get into some real... Um, issues with regard, to, and that's why I always tell people: it's not just financial; it's psychological too. It's emotional. Mm-hmm. How do I walk away from this this thing I created? Do I trust somebody else to take it over? So the easiest way to avoid all that is to do nothing. Wow. And that's what most people do.
0: The fear factor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In so many words.
1: Yeah. I think so, so.
0: At what stage or stages do you find these individuals in, and what are initial steps that you take to begin to probe to help them to move beyond the fear
1: I think you you know what we try to do and I I know this is going to sound kind of odd there's there's a a bit of a scare factor you try to scare somebody Hmm. and say look do you want to be doing this when you're 75 do you want to have that kind of stress do you you know do you see yourself doing something else with your life I mean you have to educate people and you have to make them realize that there is another way to do this you can have your cake and eat it too. And actually the really enlightened business owner does proper planning so that they can make a move at the right time mm-hmm. and take advantage of market conditions. The rest of the world, which is ninety nine percent of them, just react to market conditions and that's why they can never make a move that's that's financially to their advantage.
2: I also think that the fear comes into play and that you touched on it, Ken, with They've been doing that business on average for the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. They go in at 7 in the morning, they leave at 6, 7 o'clock at night, five and a half, six days a week. And then they think to themselves, if I sell this, what am I going to do with myself? I mean, I can play golf for six months, Brian, nine, but then where do you go from there? I mean, it, it, it'll drive you crazy. I would be, I love golf, but I'd be nuts after three to six months on the golf course.
1: Yeah, but I, I think that's a matter of uh, maybe better exposure for people because really when you think about it, there's so much to do in life. Yeah. And I understand what you're saying, and I do think it's true. I think it's more on the psychological side of it. People feel like they're giving up their second family. Okay. I mean, they spend time with their family, and then they go to work. That's what they do as a business owner. So when you give up your business... It's like giving up part of your family. But that also defines who they are. Yes, it does.
2: does.
0: Well, because they allow it to define who they are. And there's the psychological component to it, and I think to the essence of it. But all of us, maybe not Brian, but I think the three of us were mentored under a paradigm of you learn, you earn, you retire. Yeah, Well, that paradigm, in my opinion, is no longer valid here in the 21st century in that c- certainly you learn, you earn, but that learning-earning thing sh- can't end. Because if it does, if you don't continue building skills and adding, we talked about this before the show began, the expansion, then yeah. you are DOA, as then far you, as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah. You're on the big exit plan then. Right. Ex- <laughs> <laughs> this is going to go on all night. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Great stuff. Great stuff. <laughs> All right. So
2: when when then should an owner start to think about exit planning?
1: Well, I, I don't think there's ever a, a specific time frame. I mean, it's better earlier than late. I, what happens to most people is they wait until they're sixty five. Okay. And when you do that, you limit your possibilities of exiting the business for a number of reasons. The biggest one being anybody who wants to come in and buy that business, whether it's internal or external, is going to look at that and say, well. You're going to be gone. So, how much help yeah. are you going to be for the business? The clients know that you're at that age. You really want to just get bought out. It's not necessarily a transition of the business. So, I always tell people you need to start at least in your early to mid 50s if you want to do it efficiently. Okay. Nobody starts in their 40s unless they have a desire to retire early. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I did have a client recently who was very smart. Uh, he's just turned 50 and sold a manufacturing business for a lot of money when the economy turned around because he spent the prior five years getting his house in order so that when the economy did turn around somebody overpaid for his business.
2: All right, what That's is, rare. Talk about house in order because most people approach their business operationally. Mm-hmm. I need revenue, I need good margins to pay my people, and I need profit on the bottom. It's a different perspective though if you are positioning a business for sale. So what are the differences?
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of similarities, but one of the things you you might be missing there is the clients. Okay. I mean, when you sell a business, more than anything, yes, you are selling revenue, but you're really selling your clients. Got it. And you better make sure that they understand what's going on with the business, that they've been kind of taught about the transition. And there's a way to make it positive that, look, I'm not going to be here forever. I want to continue to service you like I have in the past in order to do that I need to have a plan in place okay I think people will look at that positively because nobody ever comes to them with a message like that usually what happens is somebody works the typical business owner these are sad statistics they work until they die Ow. and I and I actually think that's gonna get worse look at what's happened with the economy and the downturn in 2008 the lost decade of the stock market the fact that people have lost so much equity in their homes People are going to get to 65 and realize, well, I can't walk away. I yeah. still have a house that's underwater. Yeah, I got to keep working. So I think business owners are going to be forced to continue to work till literally till they're in the mid to late 70s.
3: That is sad. Do you think that there's? I I have this fascination with, um, with people's lifestyles and people spending way too much, um, on what their lifestyle is. Do you think this is sort of that? I mean, these are the baby boom generation. Mm -hmm. This is the generation of, I'm going to be a little flashy. And there's Mm. so many of them that I need to be flashier than the other guy so I can stand out and look at me. And it seems as if the generation prior to that was very happy having, you know, a, a, a bucket of money. And if they wanted a home improvement, you know, they learned how to put a walk in or they learned how to, you know, put an addition on their house or they did it themselves. These guys go out now, it seems, and, you know, that subcontractor and you got a whole bunch of equipment in there and they're doing it. You know, these folks want the glitz and glamour. They always want to appear to be a little wealthier than they are. And people don't get that thing that your income, I mean, you should be living on 30% of your income and saving 70%. You say that to people now, And they're, What do you mean? That's ridiculous. I can't possibly. Of course you can. Of course you can. Where were you five years ago, ten years ago? That's what you were living on. And they can't as soon as they get more money. Oh, I got to get that. I got to get that BMW. I got to trade in my Volkswagen, you know?
2: I remember my parents, The I don't even think home equity lines existed back when my parents were Mm -hmm. building their life. And the home equity line, I think, came about predominantly because, one, it was a revenue generator for the bank, but, two, it filled that dream that you just mentioned, Brian. I could put in the patio, I could put in the in-ground pool, and all under the guise of home improvement. So home equity works.
3: It's almost as if the flash and wealth um, of the the super-wealthy became publicized with uh, the advent of television and radio and you know the movies became very popular in the 50s and 60s and on and so people saw that and so now for the first time they're realizing
1: they should have that desire yeah you know what i mean yeah i want to relay a conversation i had with a a couple recently because this was very enlightening to me they came into my office and they were talking about retirement they're in their mid-50s and went through their financials. They had no debt, had saved a lot of money. Just like you were saying, Brian, they were saving 60% of their income, and they were depressed. And I kept saying, what's what the matter with you? you? And I said, well, you know, the people down the street or our friends are doing this and doing that. And, and I said, yeah, but you know how they're doing that? They're just borrowing more money. I said, in five years, you can walk away. When you're 60, you could say I'm done and retire and live on 80% of your current income, whereas they won't be able to. They were still depressed. And I remember they walked out of the office and I thought, that's horrible. These are the people doing the right things. Yeah. And they're depressed, whereas the and, people doing the wrong things are. Happy. And you know
3: what? Society probably poo poo's them. Oh, shame on you. You know, it's, it's the. Uh, you're not helping the economy. Yeah, you're not helping yeah. the economy. What do they call it? The velocity of money. I love that. The <laughs> velocity, the turnover of money. You got to do it. I mean, you know, I can't tell you how pleased I I just. This is the same. What is this? A, a vest that I wear every week. Yes. For the first time, I just reached into the pocket in, I don't know, six months. Yeah. I just found like $90. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm good for like six months with 90 bucks in my there pocket. Go. I'm going to go oh, raid your closet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, so, Ken, it sounds like you are as much a psychiatrist at times as you are the, you know.
1: It's interesting that you say that. I actually have a minor in psychology. Do you, and do you really? I have always said in our business, I think the better you are at reading people and understanding people, the more successful you will be. I mean, anybody can learn the numbers end of it. It's learning the people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's about understanding where they're coming from, you know, trying to get their perspective on things and get inside their head. You know, it's not my mantra. It's I'm trying to help their lives. So you you have to understand psychology, and I think it's really important, very important, especially now after what happened in 2008. Yeah. You know, when you start getting people lose 40% or 50% of their net worth overnight, they're calling, they're panicking, you have to be able to talk them through that. And it's not a numbers thing then. No. Right. It's about, okay, I'll take a step back, let's look at this, calm down. Yep. And that it, it's a lot of work working through that. I always said we, used to, we get overpaid when things are good and we're underpaid when things are bad.
2: Yeah. Well, it's like Pavlov's hierarchy of needs where the need for security is way up there. And in our society today, security
3: is tied to money. It's financial yeah yeah I mean that's interesting because Maslow, the first thing you need is like food, clothing, yep. shelter, yep. that sort of thing. and then that next step is that feeling safe absolutely so people are they are lavished in food and yeah. comfort, and they don't get that you know there's a step above feeling secure. And they're making themselves feel insecure because they're building up that that bottom base of, of you know the bigger house, the more expensive dining you know yeah. experiences, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, you know, I I see guys making thirty forty thousand dollars a year, who are putting in a wine cellar in their basement. I'm like, who the heck do you think you are? A wine cellar? You gotta be <laughs> kidding me. How much is that gonna cost? Oh, I can do it on the cheap, you know, for eight grand. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's You're... a quarter of your income, You're dummy. Like, are you stupid or what?
0: Well, it's oh. interesting. That I, you know, I, what Brian is sharing with us, if this was pre-2008. I'd agree with him 100%. But I think that the 2008 for a whole significant percentage of the population, including, I'm guessing, a lot of people that are tuning in tonight, are saying, yeah, I used to think that way. But I got my clock cleaned yeah. in 2008, and I'm not thinking that way. And you, you used the word a little while ago, you know, reactive, reactivity. You know, and when it stays in that place of reactivity, then there's a concern. But I think often what happens with people is there is this reactive moment, Mm -hmm. but some people turn that into proactive. And I'd like to hear some of your experiences in just that, people coming out of that mess and saying, "Okay, we do need to scale down and we do want to be able to have some kind of retirement when we hit 65 or 70. What is that like?
1: Well, I will uh, let me add first that I'd like to believe more people learned, but I, I remember saying this to people. My office is in West Hartford Center. At the height of the crunch, when things were really bad, go to West Hartford Center on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. You could still could not get in a restaurant. And all those people, uh, some of it's the burying your head in the sand. When, mm-hmm. you, when there's bad news out there, nobody wants to know. And actually, that's some of the advice I give clients when things are really bad. I say, look, don't open up your statements and i do it myself personally when things are bad i don't (laughs) want to look because if i look i'll panic and do the wrong thing Mm. keep your head on straight and go back to your plan and that's what we always tell people you need a plan i mean you have a plan for how you raise your child why would not you have a plan for what you're going to do financially if you have a plan in place when things get bad you go back to the plan and say okay let's reassess do we need to change anything and do it objectively but most people react emotionally and that's why they make mistakes
2: Mm. Take me to the plan for the business owner then. If I'm, if I'm 53 years old, I've got a business that's profitable. It's Let's say it's a professional services business because those are usually the hardest to sell. Mm-hmm. It's a book of business. It's a base of clients. It's a revenue stream, but there aren't any tangible assets per se. Right At 53 and I want to exit at 60, what do I start doing?
1: Well, you start really on the personal side. You have to assess what you have in personal assets first because once you back that out, that will determine what you really need to get from the business. Then we look at the business, and you also have to be honest sometimes. Some people, you look at it and say, there's nothing you're going to be able to do that's going to get you out by 60. I I mean, that's part of our job is to be honest with people. Um, But for the service type business, you really have two exit strategies. It's an internal or an external exit. Um, external exit strategy is very difficult you got to v- find an external buyer who yeah. sh- can come in and assume those relationships those personal relationships that's hard to do that is an internal exit where you train somebody you have somebody work under you for years who gets to know your clients who can take over those clients that's much easier to do and you have seven years in that example okay and then they can buy you out over time um with some sort of payment stream and that's your exit
2: so exit is For a lot of service companies, a succession plan. It is a succession plan. Either family or non-family in many cases.
1: Yeah, what you have to be careful of, because I I actually ran into two of my close friends who had this happen to them in the same year. They trained somebody for years. One business in particular trained them for years. She then got up and left and contacted the clients and tried to take them. Ouch. Ended up in court, ugly, nobody won. Never you have to be very careful. You got to have a proper agreements in place. It's hard to protect that because clients can go wherever they want. Yep. But you have to protect yourself.
2: I, and you and I have talked many times about the team that an owner needs to support him or her in their business. Uh, we call it, we've used the term pros from Dover. Yep. Who should be on that team?
1: Well, after a discussion tonight, I think the first person should be a, like a psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> psychologist and a bartender yeah
2: not necessarily in that order (laughs) not
1: not at all Uh, clearly you need a good business attorney um, a CPA who deals mainly with if if it's a personal service business a personal service CPA um, a business valuation person you may not need on your team immediately but Mm -hmm. eventually you will to value the business and you probably need a business broker um, that you can start talking to about all right if I Get my company position properly. What can I expect as far as an exit strategy? How will you take me through that? What do you think the value of the company is? That sort of stuff.
0: Okay. Now, it's just the kind of thing, Ken, that if I came to you, you have a network of trusted vendors that you can provide me with a recommendation for a CPA if I don't have one, a broker, that kind of thing. So you become, if you will, in I'll use a term in my industry the executive producer mm-hmm. and really making the the match for these individuals
1: yeah to come full circle everything we do in our industry is related to sports so we call we call it quarterbacking okay I okay. mean having done this thirty years you know all the proper CPAs and business attorneys in the in the uh, depending on where the business is located and that's really our job to put the team together and but you have to match about match it up with personalities there's been times I've put people together, and afterwards I thought that wasn't a good match. There's the psychologist so, component again. Right. I mean, you mm-hmm. have to look at people's temperament and personality. And if they're a type A personality and you're putting them together with an attorney who's very laid back, I can tell you at some point that's not going to work. Yeah. You have to match those up. That's probably the most important part.
0: Hmm. I'm curious as to what brings someone to your door. I'll use my industry as an example. Uh, if they're knocking on my door, there's pain of some sort you know they're the business is off we're a marketing firm mm-hmm. uh, that they're, they're having trouble but what's what's the motivation for people to come to see you
1: there isn't a lot I hate to say that I mean very rarely do people come knocking on our door really mm-hmm. very rarely I mean they'll come to you when they're referred by somebody who they may look to as somebody they respect and they say it's always when they have a problem nobody ever comes to you and says things are great can you make them Even better, they come to you and say, "I got a problem. Can you help me?" And hopefully, within that context, by you helping them over time, you can develop a relationship that will be mutually beneficial. So it's always when they have a problem.
0: Okay. So the age-old question is, how do you guys market? How do you bring new people to you know to your to your firm?
1: Relationships. It's all relationships. It's knowing people like Ken. Um, just being out in the community for 30 years i mean one advantage of being in the hartford area is it's a small community absolutely sometimes too small but you know <laughs> that's not going why there either. <laughs> that's why you learn not to burn bridges because it is a small community but if you've been around long enough um that's how you build relationships and that's how you build businesses
0: hmm. that's really interesting point of view so how's business for you i mean is you know in this post 2008 you know time frame are you finding things better flat
1: or worse definitely better Uh, 2009 was a difficult year because if if you recall the downturn happened at the end of 2008 into 2009 so the shock factor didn't really hit till mid-2009 when people got their statements Mm, Okay. so 2009 slash beginning of 2010 was a tough time since then it's recovered and business is very good now makes me a little nervous (laughs) <laughs> I, i'm not so sure things are that good out there yeah but business is pretty good
0: i'm not going to disagree with you we're going to take a short break folks i want to remind you that first off if you're not following us on youtube twitter and facebook then you should do that and do that right in this moment our guest this evening is ken savino ken is one of the partners at north star wealth partners and before we cut to our break we're going to read a commercial from one of our sponsors and that's central ctdental.com it's the home of doctors camp zambor and brian's favorite lupini for serious issues or routine checkups there is simply nowhere else to go they're easy to get to on the plainville farmington line what you need to do is call 860-747-5761 or make an appointment online at centralctdental.com. We'll be back in a moment. Budwitz & Meyerjack PC
2: is a large Connecticut-based CPA firm with offices in Cheshire and Farmington, Connecticut. Large enough to handle engagements of enterprises with annual revenues in excess of $100 million, yet small enough to cater to smaller businesses and individual clients who expect personalized attention from partners and staff. Client service is the cornerstone of our practice. Our clients have a fixed fee for their audit and tax work. What this means to the client is we're approachable. Personal communication and client services make for strong
0: relationships. Budwitz & Meyerjack, certified public accountants. Sandit's It's Travel for business and leisure. We'll take you there. Sandit's Travel has been proudly serving Connecticut since 1960. That's over 50 years. And we're ready for another 50 years of superior service. Whether you prefer to come in, call in, or log on, we invite you to explore how efficient, diverse, and fun it is to book through Sand Travel. Save your money and your time with us. Sand Travel. We'll take you there. You're on the horn. Onthehorn.com.
3: You are listening to On the Horn, the Hartford Online Radio Network business show with open. Tommy Russo,
0: open for business, and Ken Cook and Ken Savino, our guests this evening. Ken, Ken Squared, you are Ken Squared. Yeah, you we know we those. had
3: two, uh, we had two Tommies last week. Yep. Next week. We should have two Brian, so we can have Tommy, Tommy, Ken, Ken, Brian, Brian. There you go. What and do you think about that cool. plan? Okay. I think that's a great idea. Hey, let me tell you about uh, global indemnity insurance. Uh they're a full service surety bond agency. What does that mean? I have no clue. All right, look, if you're if you're <laughs> out there, like all right, if you're a contractor, let's say, and you know, we got this stupid busway thing going up, which I hate, but it's gonna happen, so we gotta deal with it. In order to get that done, The government, the state of Connecticut is going to give you a bunch of money to go out there and do this. But they want a surety that you're going to show up and get the job done and it's going to be okay. So you have to be bonded. Ah. So you get a surety bond. Hence global. And a global.
0: My question is, how the heck did you get them to be a sponsor of this show? You
3: know, we are worldwide, (laughs) my good man. We are trusted worldwide uh, conduits for that's right oh, I good forgot, business I forgot sense here that part here of it. At, uh, <laughs> open for business at on the power <laughs> of social media it is just fantastic stuff uh, look uh, surety is their only business no matter are you, you sure T listed or a rated companies large or small contract work or even commercial uh, all your bond request and needs can be accommodated by global indemnity go check them out Woo-hoo. If Brian, kind
0: our fearless leader. Anyway, folks, welcome back. We have Ken Savino with us this evening. He's a partner at North Star Wealth Partners. Welcome back. And I'm going to bounce from this Ken to this Ken. I know you had a question or two or 20.
2: Well, I, two or three. Okay. <laughs> All right. I want to get back in some terms that have bandied about that I know of when you talk about exit planning and succession planning. And I'd like to get your insights on them. One. The tax considerations what, from an owner's point of view, the last thing she wants to do is give most of it to Uncle Sam good point so sell, how does she
1: avoid that sell fast sell fast <laughs> like this year
2: <laughs> all right, what happens on the third of, first of January?
1: Well, I mean, I think there, there's going to be a change in the tax code, but you bring up a good point sell and
3: fast we, and die fast, apparently
1: yes, since that whole that, that sunsets um that's true. You're bringing up an issue that a dilemma that always comes up in the sale of the business because the business owner wants to sell the business and pay the least amount of taxes. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they want capital gains treatment, whereas the person buying the business wants to have it taxed as ordinary income because they get a deduction then for the, uh, the on the payment side on, a, on on an ordinary income tax basis. So that's a big issue, and. I will tell you that most of the deals are structured so that it's capital gains, because as a business owner, you're not going to end up selling your business if you're taxed as ordinary income. You sell your business because you can get your equity out of it that you built up over the years, but also because of the leverage on the tax side, that you're converting 40-something percent ordinary income tax income to 15, or in our lovely state of Connecticut, 20-something percent uh, with our state of Connecticut income tax, so you're cutting your taxes in half.
2: Okay, so who do, who's the pro that I talk to to make sure that I get that right?
1: Well, it would really be your attorney. The attorney and He's the they are going to structure the deal, yeah. structure the deal yeah. properly. Okay. And, you know, the other reason why you need an attorney, and I, I've seen so many people try to sell a business because they don't want to pay an attorney, they don't want the costs associated with that, but believe me, it'll be a lot more expensive if you try to do it yourself.
3: You can't afford not to have that kind of are yeah. there but you know what though on on the flip side you got to make sure your attorney is someone who is business minded not just legal minded can write business contracts but i mean i have even personally seen attorneys um go into businesses you know the bank wants a uh, some kind of statement or whatever to to get a loan for a business uh for two hundred thousand dollars and the attorney charges them you know ten grand I'm like, why would he take the loan out for 10 grand? You've just destroyed the idea of taking a loan out. He would have just used his own money. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the, the other side, too, if you're buying a business, what you don't want to do, I th- in, in my humble opinion, is I don't think you want to go to the bank, get a check, and then take on that debt to pay back the bank and just get the old guy out. The reason is, is that when you pay back the bank, that's now considered profit, and you you know that goes to your your, mm-hmm. your profit line. There's no way to avoid it, so that's part of your taxing. So you could have a you could have an instance where you have like no cash left, but you got a ton of profit, and the IRS is looking at you like, Ooh. "Yes, ma'am." We, Ken,
0: we'd like some more money. i watching you nod along. You, are you in total agreement with what yeah. Brian is sharing?
1: Yeah. I mean, most smaller businesses or service businesses are sold under structured deals. Nobody ever gives you a check up front. Um, if if they're willing to, take the money and run because mm. you need to have a win-win. It needs to work for both parties. So typically it's a third, a third, a third, something like that, where you get a third of the purchase price in cash up front so that the owner gets some satisfaction out of the business. You get a third paid over a certain amount of time and a third of it is deferred that if the company doesn't produce certain revenue numbers and profit numbers, you don't get that payment. So everybody's got skin in the game. That's the best way to make it work. reason why most deals fall through is the greed factor.
2: All right. I don't get that last third. I'm an owner. I've worked for X years. I've built up this book of business. And I have loyal clients. You and I... As a potential buyer, have gone out, we've talked to my top 15 clients, yeah, we love Ken, but we love the company as well. We're going to stay on board. We get 14 out of 15 that say yes,, mm-hmm. and you're going to hold a third of my money tied 100 percent to your performance that I have absolutely zero control over. Why would I agree to that? That's a good point. Yeah. Well, well Well, you
1: have
3: to prevent attrition.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's how do a,
3: I prevent attrition
2: when I'm not there?
1: That's a double-edged sword because there are clients who will just say anything in front of because they don't want the conflict. But the minute you leave, they decide, hey, if Ken's not there, I'm leaving. And so the new buyer loses right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So this is where you get into the legal end of it is how to structure the contract so that it's, you can determine the best way to handle that. Right. So that I understand your point of view as a business owner. You built a relationship. Somebody comes in and blows the relationship. You don't want to be penalized. Yeah. But it works both ways. But, you know, they,
3: they've also had it uh, on the flip side to where that last third, you know, if, if sales tank, you know, the the person selling the business gets hurt a little bit. But also, on the flip side, if stuff shoots through the roof, and this is where they come in with stock, um, then the guy who just sold his business gets even more than his right. last third. He gets, you know, maybe another 100%. That he got in the first third. Well, yeah.
0: with what Brian has just had to say, Ken, my question to you is: Is there a shade of gray that, in the scenario that this Ken just articulated, that maybe he stays on as a consultant for the okay. first three, six months, mm-hmm. a year, transition. and transition and holds the hand? takes the temperature of some of these potentially fickle clients that might indeed run for the hills as soon as Ken is gone?
1: I think it depends on the business. If it's personal service, no question. The, the best way to structure a deal, nobody wants to hear this because they want to get their check and run, but the best <laughs> way to structure a deal is to stay around. Be a consultant, get paid. You're not going to get paid a heck of a lot, but you'll ensure you keep the clients. If it's a manufacturing business, for example, where you're making widgets, you're not as worried about clients running you're producing you're making widgets you can just sell the business and walk away it all depends personal service you really need to stay on to make it successful
2: so personal service really is all about the book of business and the retention of it
1: yes yeah
2: okay how do you value that
1: that's uh that's a tricky part <laughs> um and i think that's where you need a, a good business broker and you need um some common sense and you need to take advantage of market conditions.
2: All right. More specifically, then, what are different types of valuation methods?
1: There are a number. One, I mean, they can base it on pure revenue, a multiple of revenue. Okay. Um, I prefer to base it on a multiple of EBITDA, earnings before interest and taxes yep. and depreciation, because to me, that's your real profit. Yep. As opposed to just revenue. So, if you're a more profitable business like Microsoft, you're worth more money. Sure. Um, You can value it on assets, but I can tell you for a personal service business, there are no hard assets. But,
3: uh, you know, if you're someone buying, you don't want to look at it. I mean, maybe you do. You might get a cheaper price. But, I mean, you're interested because there is a certain amount of revenue coming into this company, and you're looking at that saying, all right, there's two options here. I can do X, Y, and Z and really shoot up sales with this company that way. And I can also... Uh, you know they have a lot of fat over here that I can trim, yeah. which will save expenses. Synergy, which is Brian. all yeah, which is all non EBITDA stuff is all, it's all just what what is your gross revenue? I can turn that gross revenue into much bigger profit than you can. Hmm. That's the I don't know
1: that's that's how I and that's look typically at it. what happens. So I just had a, a client who sold a business, and in the first month, uh, they let fifty percent. of It's a small small business, but they let fifty percent of the employees go. Now it turns out that that was the right move, to be honest with you, because sometimes it's a, there's embedded relationships. Yep. You've got somebody who's been working for you for twenty years. You know their family. You know their kids. You don't want to fire them, even though you know you don't need them anymore. Yeah. Somebody else comes in, and they can do that. Right.
2: Now, do me a favor and explore the concept of a strategic buyer. What does that mean?
1: A strategic buyer is somebody who's looking for um, a fit for their existing business, or and, and I'll use my my field for example. Um, Say you run a uh, 401k planning business, and there's a bank out there that does all kinds of investing, but they don't have the capabilities to do 401k planning. Okay. They can build it internally, but it might cost them millions of dollars to do that, or they can try to buy a business as a strategic fit. Typically, if you're bought as a strategic fit, you get paid more. Yeah. Because somebody wants you. Yeah. They're buying your process.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Process or footprint. They could buy the geography you're in. Yeah, that's
3: true, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know it, how much yeah, I wonder how much that matters. Now.
0: Using that though as a segue point. I'm I'm curious Ken, your industry. The state of Connecticut is, you know, I'll use my industry as an example again. Mm-hmm. A better place for me to be operating would be Manhattan, Boston, Nashville, LA. How about for your industry? I mean, is this prime place to be in the Hartford, you know, market? You know, running a, a company like yours, or if you had to do it over again? <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't be I, in the business to begin with.
2: <laughs> we're, there, we're, there you, there you, you go. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that answer. Ken would go
3: into online radio.
2: Oh, <laughs> yes.
3: He's so much in love with what we're doing here.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that's a great question because I've always been intrigued by that. Connecticut has more financial advisors. Per capita, than any state in the country, I mainly because you were going to say something like that. Mainly because we had so many insurance companies wow. on here, and so the competition is high. But we also have some of the more affluent areas. Take Fairfield County, take Hartford County; it's very affluent, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm always reminded of—I was at a conference once, this was maybe ten years ago, and I met this guy who was the biggest producer for a broker dealer. He was doing millions and millions of dollars in business. And he told me where he was from. And it was in Georgia. And I said, I've never heard of that. And he said, There's no reason you would have. And I said, Well, where is it? And he said, It's a town of 2,000 people. And I said, Hmm. Well, how'd you do that? (laughs) And he said, I know everybody, and everybody knows me. And they all have relatives. And so for him, he had no competition.
2: He owns 2,000 accounts. That's a good old boy's network. Exactly. Exactly.
3: You know, and there's another flip side of that, which, and I have seen it in our industry, in the investment world, um, very smartly, folks opening up in like Tulsa, Kentucky, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, down in Georgia, where the standard of, not the standard of living, but the cost of living is substantially lower. And so even if you're just bringing in the same amount of money, you can save a lot more because you don't have to spend anything down there.
2: Yeah, right. You know,
3: you, you go down there, you know, you know my, my house in Avon up here is, you know, $500,000. You go down there, it's like $80,000. <laughs> you know, it's tremendous, this kind of stuff. I mean, we, we really overpay here
1: in, uh, in, in Connecticut. <laughs> and, it, you know, that's, that's probably what that. I would do.
3: No matter what business it is, especially with the Internet now, you can be anywhere.
1: We overpay less now than four or five years ago, well, especially this is on true. the real estate yeah, side. So yeah, yeah. you right.
0: yeah, absolutely um, You're right
3: it's getting more
1: in line
2: let me ask you when when a owner is selling her business and she has 30 employees is it always basically the heart of the owner and their conscience that dictates the fate of those employees or are there any other factors that come to play
1: ultimately yeah i mean that comes down to that yeah. um I think where it's more difficult, n- not that it is isn't difficult for employees, but the h- harder situations I've seen is when you have multiple owners. When there's a single owner, it's pretty easy to get a deal done. But when okay. you have three, four, five owners, it's like, you know, it's like having five wives. I mean, trying to get Ow. a decision on anything on when you want to go to dinner, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So I, that's where I really s- find difficult situations is how do you navigate through people who m- might have different objectives, might be of different age. They might have um, different values. That's really difficult. Hmm. And those deals, I find, are better done internally because to find an external buyer to have everybody leave at the same time is almost impossible to put put together, wow. unless it's a huge deal, you know, a big company with thousands of, you know, maybe not thousands, but hundreds of employees.
2: I mean, uh, we're getting close on time. I want to go back. You had said that uh, you would not get into financial services again, but instead go into online radio. <laughs> that aside, what would be, if you were not in this business, borrowing from James Lipton in the actor Studio, what business would you like to be in, seriously?
1: Uh, charitable work. I, I just I took a couple of years off to do some work for uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, and I've always been involved with Make-A-Wish, but I was chairman of the board in Connecticut for a couple of years. And uh, somebody said to me one day, When I went home, they said, you know, you're happier now than I've ever seen you. Hmm. And it really had an impact on me. I thought, am I? I mean, am I? And I started to think, yeah, I am. I mean, every day I'm coming home, I'm feeling like I'm really doing something. And don't get me wrong. In our industry, if you're helping people, you really are providing a very good thing for them. I'd love to have a combination of that, and that's what I try to do. But I think doing something on the charitable world where you can give back to those people. I, I have a thing for kids and kids yeah. who don't, don't have, have a chance. Yeah, don't have a chance. Um, that's near and dear to me.
2: What would you hate to do?
1: You know that show, uh, the guy who's always uh, the worst jobs on earth or whatever? He, oh, the dirty, oh dirty, Mike Rowe. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, hand yeah that's, there you have yeah. it. And I did a <laughs> lot of that stuff. <laughs> for years, I Pick did Pick any that episode stuff. and yeah, it's, that's I've it. done huh? it.
0: All right. Well, folks, thank you. As another great episode, speaking or using that word of open for business, Ken Savino, thank you so much. Thank you, Ken. Really it was a really being nice, here. nice having you here, and we will see you, folks, next week from Ken Cook and Tommy Russo. Take care, and Brian Parker as well. We'll see you next week. Cheers. liver shape and a lot more accessible on the horn